happy to be here with you today on this Labor Day. Um, hopefully you're going to enjoy your three-day weekend, your extra day off if you have it. Um, I know a lot of people are away, but for anyone that's tuning in online, I'm glad you chose to tune in with me. Um, so today I chose a passage that probably a lot of you are familiar with. Um, if you've ever opened up your Bible and said, you know, I want to start reading the Bible, I don't know where to start. Let me start in the beginning. And there's a good chance you started in Genesis. This is the beginning. And you were doing pretty good. Maybe you were even taking notes. You're like, all right, I'm understanding what happened. You got to the fall. You got to Noah. And then you got to the genealogies. And maybe you were taking notes. And you were like, wait, what did I just read? Why did I just read all these descendants? And I just want to encourage you, being in this word is important. Make sure that you are spending daily time with God, understanding who he is, his character, what he has said. And don't get, get discouraged on some of the details. They're important to have, but sometimes you're not going to get anything from them. So don't be discouraged, even if there's a day that you don't take notes. Um, but coming back to this passage, the reason I chose this is because you've probably read it. Maybe you were taught it in Sunday school. Maybe you were taught it as a kid. Um, it's... It's an it's a encouraging passage, or maybe not encouraging is the word, because this is the fall of mankind. Um, but I chose this passage because it's something we're familiar with. And we see that the serpent is, is deceitful, right? He was seen as crafty. Now, one thing I want to point out is Satan is no different today than he was a couple thousand years ago. So Satan is seen as crafty, or the serpent is seen as crafty. And I want to preface this, that this is not a mythological story. There's a lot of different presuppositions that people come in with. If you're visiting for the first time, you might say, well, a talking serpent, I don't know if that really sounds all that plausible. And then there's even some Christians that would say, I don't know if this is a real story. For today, I want you to look at this story as 100% accurate and true, no matter the presupposition that you might be coming from. Because today, in our world, we like to pretend that Satan doesn't exist. And I think that's very dangerous. We, we don't even like to talk about him, even in church. And some people, even in churches, would say that Satan is more of a metaphor and not a real being. Um, and I think that's a problem. So I titled this sermon, Twisted Scripture. Um, and it's just because we see how Satan likes to twist the words of God. And he does this even in our lives if we're not careful. He's playing the same games that he has always played. He knows the word better than you do. He knows it probably better than I do too. But we need to be careful to know this word well because if not, Satan's going to twist it. Now, if you're looking at our culture when we talk about Satan and we're thinking about what the world sees of the church, the world is very skeptical of the church, if we're honest. And I think they have a reason to. So while I was looking up, like, okay, what, what would make people in the world skeptical? Because I've had a lot of interactions with people. I grew up in public school, um, and I still have friends out in the world that are not saved. And so I was, I was doing some research, and there was a quote that came by, and I think it's very important. So it's going to be on the screen, and you can feel free to follow along, but I'll read it for you. It says, our generation has been advertised that our whole life. And even now on social media, says Taylor Snodgrass of Church of the 20-somethings, 
If the church isn't giving you the, the whole story, if it's sugar-coated and they're trying to put on an act on stage, people in their 20s will see through this. This causes us to leave. We're good at seeing when people are lying to us. So I thought this quote was pretty important because it speaks to people that are relatively like my age, right? The, the next generation upcoming. And people can see, like I know I can see, all right, that person, I don't know if they're genuine. I don't know if they're real. And for me personally, when I see somebody or I meet somebody and I, I don't feel like they're being real with me, I don't want to be around that person. I want, to, I want somebody that's true, somebody that's genuine. So going back to the question of why is the world skeptical of church? Well, if we're honest, the church as a whole hasn't always done a good job representing Christ. The church at times is filled with scandal. It's filled with sin. It's filled with cover-ups. The church is ultimately filled with sinners. The difference between these sinners and the sinners outside the church should be that these sinners are chasing after Jesus with everything that they have. If we look at the last 50 years of just church culture, you'll see the church advertises people holding picket signs. You'll see priests and pastors with sex scandals. You'll see congregations that say all the right things, but behind closed doors they might act like everybody else. They might say the same things, they might do the same things. You see Christians that go to the bar to cope with their struggles. You see people putting their hope in the next high that they can get to, or the next political candidate that's going to change the country the way they think it should be changed. The churchgoer will tell you that sex outside of marriage and homosexuality is wrong, but yet not talk about divorce. And this is the reality of our culture, of, of what the world is looking at our church and saying, I don't know, I think there's a lot of hypocrites in church. I don't know if I really want to be around that. People have become skeptical of the church because we as a nation, the churches in this country have been inconsistent. We listen to Satan more than we'd like to admit, and we're no different than Adam and Eve. We start to compare. We say, Jesus, we're getting high. Jesus, are getting drunk. Jesus or this relationship that doesn't honor God. Jesus or revenge. Jesus or money. Jesus or my free time. You can probably fit yourself in somewhere along there, or maybe you're thinking of something that's a little more personal to you. So we as a church need to be consistent. And again, if we're honest, we're not. And one place we constantly fail is choosing Jesus to be in all aspects of our lives. It's easy to choose them on a Sunday, but what about the other six days of the week? So when we're not connected and constantly having relationship with God, when we're not spending time in prayer, when we're not spending time in this word, that question of, did God actually say, becomes more and more real. Did God actually say? So how well do you know God's word? That's the question that every one of us has to ask today. Because Satan is looking for the crack in your armor, the thing that you didn't prepare for, the place that you don't know him as well as you should. So I'm going to take a different route today. I want you guys to engage. You can either say it out loud, um, but just follow along with me. So in the beginning, God instructed Adam not to eat what? 
fruit? Somebody said apple. I was waiting for that. So, the correct answer is fruit. Um, but, more times than I, and maybe you even hesitated, because I know I have. So I'm not here to put anybody down that might have thought differently. But, if we know scripture well, it says the forbidden fruit. But sometimes the culture, you watch TV enough, they'll say, oh, there's an apple, you know, and they'll portray it that way. And people in church get this wrong. And this is, this is okay, right? But we don't want to stay there. We want to know the word better. I'm going to bring a little humor to you. I don't think an apple would be the, necessarily the forbidden fruit that it would be spoken about. I would think it would be more of a pineapple. Because pineapple shouldn't belong on a pizza, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong, and I have the mic today, so. <laughs> All right, so the first point today is we have a job to know God's Word well. Do you realize how biblically illiterate our culture has become? Now, at one point or another, you know, everybody kind of went to church, or the majority of people did go to church. But people do not know the Bible stories anymore. People do not know the Word of God. When people walk into this building, what should they be excited about? I don't think it should be about the number of rooms or all the classrooms that they have. But they should look at somebody and, say, and, and have a conversation and say, you know what, the building was great. I, I felt very welcome. People, people are what made a difference. That guy Jim I talked to, he was something special. I might not know everything about him, but he made me feel welcomed. He made me feel loved. And when, when he talked to me, I could tell he knew God. And I want, I want what he has. So when we fail as a church to know Scripture accurately, not only do we put ourselves in danger, but we put others in danger, the people around us. Now, I'm the youth director here, so obviously I'm going to say we put our next generation in danger. That is the biggest danger that I see because everybody's getting older here, right? Nobody's getting any younger. So the next generation is going to be the ones to carry the baton. How do we prepare them to know the word well? The reason that it puts our kids in danger is because when we don't know the word well, the kids become skeptical. When we don't know the word well enough, as we should, and they see our inconsistencies, they become skeptical. They say, I don't know if I really want to carry this because they're framing it the way they want it to be. So let's use another example. And this one's going to be a little more touchy, and I won't dig too much into it. But today, the rainbow or the rainbow flag is seen as a symbol of gay pride. There are people growing up today that have no idea what a rainbow means from a biblical standpoint of what God said the rainbow is. I've had conversations with people that are part of LGBTQ community. I have friends a part of that community, and they would, you know, I had one tell me, and they said, I don't understand how God can disapprove of my sin. When I see a rainbow in the sky, I see, you know, he's approving of me. I see, do you know what a rainbow means? Like, it's a, it's a beautiful showing of, of God's grace towards mankind. 
But the world doesn't understand that. The world doesn't know that. The world doesn't know what the word means or what it says. Now, I want to be careful for any first-time visitors. God's, I'm not saying God doesn't love you. He loves you more than you can ever know so much so that he was willing to send his son to die for you. But what I am saying is we have churches that are so deep and lost in their sin that they can't experience the joy and the freedom of knowing Christ. To not living a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness and godliness. Now, I'm not saying the church is perfect, right? We all know that the church isn't perfect, and more times than not, we fail in areas that we feel like we should be succeeding. But for those moments that we are walking with God, we're experiencing more joy and freedom than the world can ever understand. But it all starts with the smallest crack in our armor, the thing that Satan is looking for, the thing that you did not prepare for. Today, people are making God into what they want him to be, rather than letting God be God and God be ahead of them. And we see this all the time, right? It's, it's idolatry at its finest, really. The problem is, if we're making God into what we want him to be, he's not really God then, is he? He's not above us. We're making him the way we think he should be. If we look at the heart of this passage, Adam and Eve desired to be like God, knowing good and evil. They desired to be all-knowing. They desired to have his knowledge. They desired to have his power. And they were saying, God is withholding something from me. He can't be that good. The one thing that God specifically told them not to do, they did it. Because they didn't trust God. Or they wanted to be like God. They wanted the same power. And we see the culture, again, making God into what they want him to be. One quote that's become really famous around is, God helps those who help themselves. And this is something that's become popular, and it sounds good. But at the heart of it, it's very selfish. And we don't see Jesus, when he was walking on earth, act like that. He didn't serve himself. He served everybody else, even though he's king. He was a perfect human, but he's fully man and fully God, yet he was willing to serve to the point of death, willing to serve his followers by washing their feet. One key thing, actually, I want you to look at comes in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord said, Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You see, sometimes we like to, again, twist or forget what Scripture says. God actually commanded Adam not to eat of the tree and then created Eve. Adam had a job to do. Adam had a job to pass off that information 
and lead his wife Eve well. And likewise, we have a role as Christians, as followers of God, to teach and represent accurately what God has commanded us to do. This brings us to our second point. We must labor to pass that knowledge off accurately through teaching and representation. So it's Labor Day. I think it's important that we labor in this word. We spend time with God. We spend time knowing God. We spend how many days a year working to, to pay bills, to own a house, to pay for the car. But do we spend the same time and diligence to know God? To make sure that we know God. To make sure that we represent God well. Especially for those under us. Again, to explain that thoroughly, when we fail to do that, our next generation suffers. Now, I'm going to give you another practical example. I had friends in middle school, and I want to preface this because they were girls. And they were talking about Adam and Eve. I was like, okay, an interesting topic. And they were just blaming Eve. They were saying it's all her fault, you know, The reason that sin entered the world is Eve's fault because she was the first one that ate from the tree and she gave it to Adam. And I didn't know the Bible as well at the time. I was in eighth grade. But I still was like, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like I've been taught, but I didn't know how to combat. Now, they were a little bit more vulgar, so I'll spare you some of those details about some of the things that they were saying. But they were blaming Eve. But again, if you read the context, Adam still had a job to do. He was much at, as much at fault, and he was even there when the fruit was given. James 1, 13 through 15 says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, you see in this passage that play out. We see how they were tempted by their own desire. We see how at times even people in the world will blame God. If you watched any TV, you watched movies, You've probably heard at some point, oh, the Lord is testing me. The Lord is testing me with this one. It's normally talking to their kids. And sometimes we take that to mean the Lord is tempting me. It's very important the things that we say, what they portray. Again, we have a role to pass off God's word to next generation, to the next generation. Another thing, if you remember when Travis was here two months ago, He said, context is king, if you remember him saying that. And if you weren't paying attention, you might attribute that to him. But he actually attributed it to Pastor Phil. Scripture is best lived out when it's lived in context. Every young Christian, at some point, will probably say, Philippians 4.13 is their life verse, or Jeremiah 29.11. These are, you know, these are good verses, But the problem is, what's shared in these passages aren't always what they're intending. So, with Philippians 4.13 specifically, 
When God doesn't make you rich, you're disappointed. Or maybe you're not disappointed, but somebody else will be disappointed because they put their faith in that verse. Somebody else might blame God. Or if you get cut from the basketball team, or you go through a life-changing injury, you'll end up blaming God because God didn't give you what you promised. You're, you know, God's going to give you everything you want. But again, the problem is these verses sometimes get pulled out of context. If you're, if you're reading Philippians 4.13, it's talking about being content in all circumstances, whether you're hungry, whether you have more than you need, in desperation. Paul learns to be content with all things. But you can't get that from one verse. And more times than not, we have people that say, this is my life verse, but don't understand the context surrounding it. They picked it because it's the Instagram post. It's the, it's the quote that we can put out there. And so, Philippians 4.13 is much seen as the athlete verse, right? I'm going to become the MVP of my league because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that's not the context of the scripture. So again, I want to keep challenging you guys. How many days did it take God to create the earth? Six. Okay, that's pretty good. Some people will say seven, right? But the seventh day, he rested. If we compromise on scripture now, we will compromise on the future generation. Satan is active in this room. He's trying to pull people away. He's trying to just ever so slightly twist what you're hearing or, or twist your thoughts. Again, if we are not careful, the consequences tomorrow are endless. Because what were the consequences of Adam and Eve compromising on God's word? Did God actually say? Sin and death entered the world. We're here, we're here at church, and, and we are in need of a Savior. So my third point is we have to look in the mirror and not play the blame game. I made that meme, by the way, and I, I'm very proud of it. Um, so, I mean, we see in the Scripture, right, they're blaming each other. So we're going to go to Genesis 3, read um, 11 through 13 again. It said, He said, Who told you that you were, were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. See, more times than not, we'll blame somebody else. We'll blame another church. We'll blame another leader. But the reality is we have to look ourselves in the mirror say, what can I do better? How can I be better for the next generation? How can I be better for my peers? How can I be better for the visitor that walks in for the first time? Every person in leadership, whether you're teaching adults or teaching kids, we all need to be diligent. Are you failing and compromising on Scripture? Do you know the Word as well as you should? Or are you just going along with the flow? Are you just taking the curriculum you got and just saying, yep, this is what I'm going to teach today? See, we as a church need to be a trustworthy source for the gospel. When it comes to what God's word says, even if the world doesn't agree with it, 
we need to be better. Let me give you another practical example. Okay? The world's trust in America, in the United States, the trust in, in the media is at an all-time low in the United States. And people might say, why? They're the professionals. These are the ones that do it for a living. You know, they get so many takes on the stories. But the reality is people feel that they're framing things out of context. Remember, context is king. More times than not, we do that in church at times. We have people that, you know, they'll essentially put the black sharpie over the scripture of what they don't want you to read. And they'll say, but God over here said this. Well, what's going to happen to the people that are under you? The people that are listening to you? And then they start to understand the context and say, those people were deceiving me the entire time. Don't let Satan work through you for the next person. Again, I don't want to dive too much into our culture, but if we're pulling Scripture out of context, we are failing. And I get it. Naturally, our flesh does not like the Word of God. Our natural inclination is to sin. Because ultimately, the Word exposes our deeds. It exposes our sin. It exposes the truth about every single one of us, our sinful natures. It tells us that we're sinners and that we have done wrong. It shows us our need for a Savior. And the beautiful thing is when you understand the context of the Bible, when you've read the Bible and you see the Gospels and who Jesus is, we get that Savior. That no matter where we fail, God is still gracious. God sent his son to die for us, who lived a perfect life so that we have a hope. When we as Christians fail to provide accurate representation of scripture, we fail to help people put their trust in scripture. And we see the consequences playing out. We see churches that no longer believe the Word of God is the final authority. Today we have churches so lost in making their own beliefs that they can't express the joy and freedom of knowing Christ because they are just living in their sin just like everybody else. And so even here, the challenge for East Glenville is not to be the blind leading the blind. The problem is, again, when we put ourselves above God and don't subjugate ourselves under who God is and the word that he commanded us. And when we choose to sin, we do the same thing, right? When we sin, we disagree with God. We think our way is better, that this is going to make us happier, just like Adam and Eve. God's withholding something from me. We have to choose God over our own sinful desire. And again, we fail more than we'd like to admit. But it's still a call to action. Even when you fail, the best thing to do is get back up and keep working at it. Here's another example of what our world will just ever so slightly twist scripture or just take things out of context, not knowing who God is. The world will say that all good people go to heaven. doesn't matter what God you believe in. But the Bible teaches that no one is good. No, not one. We all have a sinful nature in our heart. And there's only one way to eternal life. And that comes through Christ. 
So I'm going to end with this um, verse from John 10, 27. It says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Let's make sure that we know the voice of God, that we're spending time in his word, being challenged, being equipped to prepare for not only ourselves, but those around us in this church body. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you did not leave us here to figure it out by ourselves or go by our own methods of what we think you are. But you show us who you are in your, in your word. You teach us your commands not to harm us, not to put these rules on, on us, but for the betterment of our life to, to experience the joy of walking with you. And I think about what it meant for Adam and Eve to sin. It meant that they were no longer walking with you. I thank you that you have restored that relationship through your son. And I pray for everyone here that, that we will be diligent and not fall into the temptation that Satan does so often. Did God really say? And I just pray that we know your scripture well. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.